Welcome to the Achieve Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Feldman, and each month we explore the research, strategies, successes, and even the failures behind some of today's best fundraising and marketing for causes. As we explore each one of these, we'd like to invite different types of guests that will explore their own unique takes on what really works today and will leave us a little intrigued on what they're working on for the future. This podcast is supported in partnership with the Festival of Children Foundation. This month, we're talking about data. What should you be doing as a marketer and fundraiser with the data, the constituents and donors, and the people around your mission and organization? And who better to talk about that than Steve McLaughlin? He is the director of analytics at BlackBaud. He spent really more than 15 years building online initiatives for profits and nonprofits, field testing and researching how and why data is so important for your nonprofit and organization. He's one of the people to people fundraising is his first book, Social Networking and Web 2.0 for Charities. He's the co-editor of Internet Man- Management for Nonprofits, Strategies, Tools, and Trade Secrets. We're excited to be joined by Steve McLaughlin with BlackBot. Hey, Steve, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you having me on the uh, podcast. Yeah, well, I we have had a chance to kind of work together in, uh, a little bit, uh, in a way, partner on a few other things, but it's always great to talk to a fellow researcher, especially around data, 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 the real thing behind philanthropy, right, sometimes? It's all about the data. <laughs> That's right. And we're going to get to the latest book, Data-Driven Nonprofits, all of that, but before we get there... Let's talk about the uh, Steve path. I mean, how did you get to being this, you know, the, the data guru kind of guy at Blackboard? Give me the give me the story. The story. Well, uh, so I have a confession to make, which is uh, while I spend a lot of time working with data and, and analytics, I'm a decalculus student. <laughs> and so my path to this is probably like a lot of people where data is not the easiest thing to deal with or comes naturally, if you will. And so um, for a number of years, uh, especially when I worked in the consulting world and some other things, you know, you'd be constantly running into trying to prove or show whether or not something was working or not. And ultimately that came back to data. And so I had to, over time, really sort of develop that skill set to not only understand data and how data works, um, but how to analyze it and, and drive some meaning and some decisions from it. And so I would say I ended up <laughs> I ended up working with a lot of data because I spent a lot of years in the trenches, you know, sort of you know honing those skills and, and trying to get good at it. You know, I, I I find myself in that in that same boat at times where you become so inquisitive. You're like, well, why in the world did that happen? And is that really true? I'm sure you have to, you guys go through that a lot, whether or not something is true or not. Yeah, I mean, it comes up all the time, right? You want to know why Why did something happen? And, you know, having that sort of, I guess, a mindset for curiosity really, really helps. You know, I often sort of think of the the Lord Kelvin quote, to measure is to know, right? And, That's right. And don't you want to know? And, and why would you not want to know? <laughs> why would you not want to know why it doesn't work? You know, I think that's important. Well, uh, all right. So t- let's talk before we get into some research pieces in general and what you've been learning. 
Uh, I have to ask you about the new institute, so you have to tell me about that, and of course the book, Data-Driven Nonprofits. Let's first start with the institute. Tell me about the latest announcement. I'll let you do it, and give me a sense of what BlackBot's going to be doing in the research area. Yeah, so we announced the the formal launch of the BlackBot Institute at BBCon, which is our large uh, North American fundraising conference uh, this past October. And really, you know, for a number of years, we've been doing a lot of both sort of clinical research, applied research, thought leadership, if you will. And we really thought it was sort of time to formalize that within an organization that can sort of truly take on some of these big questions that are out there in the nonprofit sector. And and part of the goal of the Blackboard Institute as well is certainly to bring in some folks out in the sector, out in the in- industry who have experience and knowledge who also want to research specific projects or specific um, questions that, that really need to be answered. And so we're hoping certainly over time to be able to do a, a wide range of research projects that ultimately benefit the sector and, and help inform people about why do things happen the way they happen or sometimes why do things not happen and, and what are some of the causes behind that. So we're really excited about the launch of the Institute. Great. Now you... Uh, you've had a couple of research pieces come out already or recently in the last year, month or two as well. Maybe talk about a few of them. Yeah, so with the launch of the Institute, we released uh, some new research that our chief scientist Chuck Longfield did around sustainers and sustainer giving. And, you know, it's a great example of, you know, a lot of organizations on the fundraising side often struggle. Well, we'd like to be able to do a monthly giving program, but how do we get started? Or there's internal pushback. And really, the fact that there's now some really substantial research out there about the benefits of uh, sustaining donors, of running a monthly giving program that's backed up not just by opinion, but by data that shows how there are a lot of positive benefits to a nonprofit from a fundraising perspective. Um, that's a great example of you know, being able to inform the sector through data and information about what actually works, what are some of the secrets to that success, and how nonprofits can then take action on it. All right, talk about the book, Data-Driven Nonprofits. Of course, I'm sure you've been always asked, why did you write this? As a fellow author, I know I get that too as well. Um, But uh, well, maybe give us that answer. But I think, I mean, what's your hope uh, from the book? And uh, Because I've had a chance to read some of it, and it's really enjoyable on sort of the way in which that we're thinking about data today in fueling our decisions in the field. Yeah, about a year and a half ago, I had a really dumb idea, which was to write another book. I'd worked on a few in the past, (laughs) and I said I would never write another book. I remember that. I think I said that too. Yeah, yeah. And (laughs) funny things happen when you say that. You know, I was I, you know, I read a tremendous amount of books on data analytics information over the years. And I really, you know, people would ask me, hey, here, what, what's something I can read? What's something I can give to my staff? And I was always really struggling to recommend something to them that I thought was accessible and helpful um, that either was not, you know, sort of the, I was looking for the Goldilocks book, right? Yeah, not too yeah. technical, not too high level. Um, you know, had some real tangible examples, not just theory. And what I found was that that book didn't exist. And so I set about, you know, doing some research about a year and a half ago to see, 
you know, well, what would a book about data and the nonprofit sector, what would that need to include and in, in working on that? And really what I was trying to solve was a couple of key questions that ultimately made its way into the book. First, data, so what, who cares, right? Should the nonprofit sector even care about data, right? Like, I mean, it's a fair question, right? Should we care about data? And then if the answer is yes, we should, and some real positive reasons why, then why is it that the nonprofit sector in general struggles with the use of data? Where are there organizations who have found a way to be successful with data? What do they do? What's different about them? And then, you know, sort of answering the question of, well, what's likely to happen next, um, or at least the, the immediate future? And that's a lot of what I focused in on uh, the book. And then uh, so lots of writing and research and interviews. The book came out in September of this year. Uh, and I was really pleasantly surprised we made it to um, number one's bestseller list, which to me just shows there. I think there's something happening in the sector. Mm-hmm. You know, if you would have said to me uh, a few years ago, there'd be a best-selling book about data in the nonprofit sector, I'd said, <laughs> no way. Right. Right. Like, that's not going to happen. Uh, you know, flying cars and, you know, uh, <laughs> Jetson type of, you know, futuristic stuff. No, that's really not what's going to happen. But clearly there is an appetite and an interest in organizations wanting to use and embrace data in some new ways. And I think that's pretty positive for the sector. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So let's dive in. A couple things first. You've been doing research for a while. Uh, give me a sense even from the early days to now, what still surprises you? I mean, even after all the studies you've done, you're like, yep, this still, this is still how it is. What still surprises you about behavior of philanthropy today? Well, I think one thing it's pretty evident is a lot of organizations are still ruled by tribal knowledge, um, you know, which <laughs> yeah. is a nice way of saying this is how we've always done it, so we are going to continue to do it this way, even if we don't know why we do it that particular way. And I actually found in the book, and it sort of explained, there are actually historical reasons why the sector behaves this way that go back over 100 years. But you have a lot of things that are driven by tactics or uh, tribal knowledge or anecdotes. And I try to make the argument in the book, you know, that the plural of anecdote is not data that just because it worked that one time or you've tried it this one way, you know, you actually do need to look at the data and try and understand what may be, what might be happening. Um, and that's a struggle. In some organizations, that's a struggle. Now, what I was able to identify were a whole host of nonprofits, different sizes, different causes, different countries that have overcome some of these issues and challenges to be very successful with data. And and that was a that was a pleasant surprise. You know, when I was working on the outline and doing a lot of the initial research, I was I was worried that the book was going to be a whole lot of finger wagging. Right. You need to do these things. You need to have clean data. You need to eat your vegetables. You need to do data science. And why aren't you doing these things? Tisk, tisk, tisk. And what I was, you know, pleasantly surprised with a number of organizations and leaders in those organizations at all levels who are being successful with this stuff. And there are plenty of examples to point to from small organizations to large organizations, you know, sort of nonprofits, great and small are being successful. And those 
other stories I wanted to focus on a lot of the book is share those first person accounts of, you know, how is it that they're being successful and how have they, what are the steps that they had to take along the way? Because I really believe that if you focus on the bright spots as opposed to the things that maybe aren't so perfect, that at least then if I'm a nonprofit professional at any level of the organization, that I can read the book, I can read some of these examples and say, hey, wow, that sounds just like us, or that's where we were a few years ago, or wow, that's where we are right now, and I can see that they've been able to be successful. I think it can help. I think it can help to sort of show, look, uh, you're not alone. We're in this together, and there are pioneers who have gone before you who've been successful with this, and if you can find and, and sort of identify with, with some of the things that they've done to be successful, then uh, there's an opportunity for you to improve as well. All right, so you, there's got to be the one thing in your research that consistently comes up that fundraisers ignore, no matter what. And I mean, is there one thing that you have that you've been doing that no matter how much the data reinforces it, that it just seems to be ignored? I mean, I think there are, are a couple of things. Um, you know, one, there is a tendency to either undermeasure or completely overmeasure things. And again, I think what you would find is successful organizations have found a balance, right? So we talk about things like a key performance indicator. Mm-hmm. Now, there mm-hmm. are lots of nonprofits who if you ask them, well, what, what would you say are the, the most important metrics you look at to understand the health of your organization? And some orgs can't give you an answer, um, or they say it's, well, it's, it's revenue, right? Or it's grants or something. Yeah. Um, and then other organizations will read you a total laundry list of all these things. And it turns out that the really successful organizations in general have about three to five really key metrics that they pay attention to. It doesn't mean they don't measure other stuff, but when they're trying to understand the health of the organization and the direction of the organization, that's what they focus on. And, and I sort of make the analogy in the book of, you know, it's like if you look inside of an airplane cockpit, there's all these dials and gauges. There's a lot of things going on. At the end of the day, though, the pilot and the co-pilot really only care about airspeed and altitude. Everything else is sort of <laughs> doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the basic, you know, safe travel of that of that aircraft. And so I think that's what the successful organizations have found is that they key in on a few really important metrics that are their altitude and their airspeed. You know, and for a, a very fundraising focused organization, it's things like first year donor retention, multi-year retention, lifetime value, right? If I know all three of those, mm-hmm. I, I have a sense of where we're going. And if I can look at those over time, and if I can look at those compared to similar nonprofits, I have a really good compass for what's happening. If I'm looking at it from a program perspective, I might be looking at capacity, um, availability, quality. I mean, I maybe have KPIs that are centered around those types of measures, but again, it's not trying to. Um, there's no, there's no, you know, first place prize to the person who measures the most stuff, because in a lot of cases, it's a, it can be noise, it can be distracting. I think the other thing that I found comes up from time to time is just like you can under measure and you can over measure. There's a tendency to either under collect the data itself or over collect. Um, it's like you could have for some nonprofits, you could have a, a special hoarders television program <laughs> about all the data. Oh, we need to keep all this stuff. And again, what I found with the really successful organizations is in general, they had 
um, a real focus on data quality, but also um, some principles around, you know, if we're not going to use it, if you can't tell me how we're going to use that data, then we're not going to collect it because it just creates a lot of noise in the organization. Um, and if you want to collect it, then it forces people to sort of understand how am I going to make decisions based on that data and why is it valuable um, was something that, that I found time and time again. Well, let's talk about trends. Interesting year, isn't it? Uh, and so I'd love to hear what if you're finding anything out related to some latest trends, especially given this election year uh, in terms that, of philanthropy. That has absolutely been a really popular question the past few weeks. Um, I mean, so from an overall sort of fundraising standpoint, you know, we see through October overall giving up three and a half percent. Giving Tuesday was up 20 percent on a year over year basis in terms of online giving. So a lot of positive trends. Um, There's a lot of uh, talk in the media about the Trump bump. So, you know, there have certainly been a number of charities and causes that have had um, some pretty large spikes in giving as a response um, to the election. And so I think, you know, a lot of the questions that I get are, hey, how will that impact overall giving? And what the point I keep stressing is, well, for those individual organizations, that's that's a positive, right, that they're reporting, they're seeing an increase in giving, right? They're seeing people who are passionate about the causes they believe in choosing to to give and to support those organizations. But from a macro perspective, those don't necessarily move the needle one way or another. Right. Uh, you know, great example from a few years ago, we all remember the ice bucket challenge <laughs> and that was a huge, you know, boost in giving tremendous boost in giving for the ALS association in the U S but it was sort of a blip on the macro giving <laughs> radar, you know, because, um, you know, there's over $370 billion given in the U.S. So you would have to get a huge, I mean, you'd have to get a huge amount to move the needle. I mean, it would, you know, 1% is $3 billion and no one's driving that type of growth. So again, I think we just need to keep it in perspective. Um, I, you know, people are passionate um, and people are giving and that's a, certainly a positive. But, um, you know, there's some bigger macro trends, you know, that probably have a bigger influence on giving. At the moment, the stock market is doing really well. The S&P 500 is up on a year-over-year basis, NASDAQ, the Dow. Those things are probably have a bigger um, impact on overall giving trends. And it'll be interesting to see what happens in 2017 if the, there's either any major changes in the economy or changes in tax policy. It seems today, or at least in the last two years, uh, and, and we've had a, a, a podcast around this too, around giving days and concepts. It seems that we're in an age, in an era where um, there's a lot of them. And there's a lot of technologies that support days of giving, impulsive days, environments, those kinds of things. What's the data and what's your opinion on giving days today? Well, I think it's important to note that giving days and crowdfunding is not a new concept. Uh, This is one of the things I talk about in the book. There are two real pioneers in fundraising, Ward and Pierce from the early 1900s. They did a crowdfunding event in New York City in the early 1900s and raised $4 million in a week. So this is not new. The only thing is new is that we have better, faster, smarter, more accessible technology 
to do this stuff. But the concept of a time-bound fundraising campaign with a, for a very specific purpose, either over a day or a week or a certain period of time, it's not a new concept. So let's yeah. stop pretending that it is. Yeah, very similar to, let's say, capital campaigns, which have been in existence since Harvard days with the first one uh, yeah. as well. And now we just have better prospecting tools. We have better... Yeah. And uh, the numbers tools. are bigger, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, yeah. It's, they're now billion-dollar campaines, not, <laughs> not yeah. million-dollar campaigns, right? Yeah. So... I mean, I would expect these to continue, but I think it's all about what are you doing leading into and leading up to these giving days? And then what are you doing after? I think for the past few years, I've always sort of tweeted out the day after Giving Tuesday that that Thank You Wednesday is probably more important than Giving Tuesday. If you consider the fact that average first-year donor retention in the U.S. is 29%, meaning roughly seven out of every 10 new donors don't give again, that's a problem. And that is not a problem about giving days. That's a problem about what happens after that giving day or after that gift or after that email or after that event or after that tweet, after the whatever. That is the the central issue. And so I think if nonprofits you know, truly want to continue to see growth in the sector – They've got to tandem anything they're doing with the, the, the moment at which you get someone to give to transitioning them in a positive way to all the stewardship and the relationship building after the fact. And if we don't do that, then giving days or uh, crowdfunding campaigns or any of this stuff is going to be just another leaky bucket problem. Uh, and I think – you know, that's where we should have the conversations, not about the technology and not about, um, you know, are they becoming a fad? Uh, I think it's there's deeper stuff here that probably needs some time and attention. So what do you think marketers and fundraisers are still going to have to do in five years related to fundraising? I mean, it, what's some tried and true things based upon the research that you would say, don't stop doing this, continue on? They're going to need to engage those people and build relationships with them over time, recognizing that people give in three ways. They give their time, they give their talent, and they give their treasure. And understanding what is your strategy to develop those relationships to get people to give one of those three things over time. And I think the other thing that will be true over the next five to 10 years is that using data to drive your decision making on those strategies is no longer optional. Uh, there's way too many uh, channels to be managed. There's way too many potential donors to be managed. There's way too many things that you can't depend on sticky notes and spreadsheets and gut instinct to drive that you really are going to have to embrace data you you know data should be your new best friend you know oftentimes i talk to people about you know if you're a frontline fundraiser and you're coming into work tomorrow who are the five people you know you need to talk to that day and if you don't know that answer you know it's sort of then there's a cascading effect of there well how are you deciding what your priorities are where you focus your time and data can really help with that right the the so the technology the data is available to help give you insights uh, for how to make decisions, how to decide what you want to do. And, you know, we already have this in the commercial space, right? Think about, you know, if you're going on a long trip to somewhere you haven't been before, 
you're using the sat nav, you're using the GPS, you're using Siri, you're using Cortana, right? It's, I think that's why we're, we're getting closer to more broader acceptance of the use of data and analytics because it's a part of our consumer life now. And so we're sort of over the, you know, we've got a higher trust factor. We're using it more in our day-to-day lives. It's a natural transition to be using it as marketers, fundraisers, program staff, et cetera. I mean, do you find, and, and maybe uh, uh, you've briefly talked about this, that it is also the case, and it seems, that a lot of nonprofits lack the resource of time, maybe some financial, uh, to, to spend what they need to with data. I mean, if because uh, you look at some of the nonprofits who are often under-resourced, which is a common discussion around capacity building and overhead issues and all that other stuff that's in our sector. I mean, do you see that the area of data analysis just from a time perspective and capacity is just uh, very low for nonprofits? I think it may be perceived that that's the case, but I would argue that if you're a smaller organization, that making bad decisions or the wrong decision has more adverse implications on you. So, you know, let's talk about two types of organizations. You're an organization that raises $50 million a year, and you're using data and analytics to help you drive your major gift program. Now, if you miss out on an opportunity for a $250,000 gift, you'll be okay. You're big enough, your portfolio of donors, the things you're doing, the other wheels that are in motion, you'll make up for that missed opportunity. If you're a million dollar a year organization and you miss out on a $25,000 gift or a $75,000 gift, the consequences are much greater. And so I would argue that if you're a smaller organization, that this stuff is absolutely more, can be more impactful to what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. Because we all know in a smaller organization, you wear multiple hats, you have a lot of things going on. Anything that can help give you leverage and help you improve what you're doing on a database basis, you know, literally down to the, you have a bunch of stuff going on today, but the technology is in telling you, make sure you got it. You talk, if you do anything today, talk to these three people or, you know, there's someone who is uh, been a donor to your organization who hasn't been contacted in a while and, Um, their birthday is coming up or they just attended an event, right? Letting the technology help surface that information at your fingertips, I think is, can be pretty powerful even for a smaller organization, right? And again, I think it, it helps them give them leverage to get back more time, right? It's where, where are you spending your time? And the more you can spend your time on activities that are going to have a likelihood of better results, Anything that can help you do that, I think, is is an improvement. Hey, Steve, thanks so much. I appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thanks, yeah. Derek. Absolutely. Steve McLaughlin is the director of analytics at Blackboard. Check out his book, Data Driven Nonprofits. It's on Amazon and all your typical book buying places online. Also, he writes uh, at NP Engage. If you haven't checked that out, please do so. Wonderful resource produced by Blackboard. Great thought leadership in our space as well. Well, thanks so much for joining us on this edition of the Achieve Podcast. We look forward to next month where we'll be helping you as marketers and fundraisers raise the public support, awareness, and adoption for the important work you do. 